Blog Talk Radio. Morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to Hope for Today. My name is Naja E. Brown, your host, and we thank you for your support and participation. Hope for Today is an outreach program of Yield to the King Ministry, and our hope and prayer for our listening audience is that you hear something that is encouraging, life-altering, or prompting you to study the Word of God. We welcome your comments anytime, and you can reach us through our website at www.yieldtothekingministry.org. Well, welcome to today's episode entitled Discipleship, Each One Teach One. And as you know, I always like to start out with the promotional material. And today I'm going to skip the scripture because we're going to go back to the scripture, but I want to read you the, the, the bulk of the context here. Many believers today aspire to be disciples and to make disciples, but don't know how. You may ask, so what is required of the believer to become a discipler? The short answer would be to pray and receive direction from God, to know and use the Bible for instruction, and live a transparent life. Look at it this way. You don't have to be the expert if you are making the disciple, God does the work and will use you. Rather, it's an opportunity for you, the discipler and the disciple to grow together in faith by learning from one another, laying a solid foundation and holding each other accountable. Now, these terms, I want to go over these terms, discipleship, discipler, discipling, and disciple Those words can be a mouthful. So let me see if I can bring some clarity to these words for you. The person who is discipling is the discipler. The one who is being discipled is the disciplee. And the activity, or some might call it ministry, of making disciples is usually called discipleship. So it's this simple. One person is a teacher and the other is a pupil and or a student. So making disciples is not just a things to do list. However, it's the responsibility of every believer. Early on as a new Christian, I was introduced to a wonderful discipleship ministry called one-to-one discipling. And at the particular congregation where I was attending, the stipulation was that you had to be a disciplee first before you could become a discipler. And this woman discipled me, and to this day, she is a dear friend of mine, and we eventually became prayer partners, accountability partners, and 25 years later, we would consider each other to be best friends. So bottom line, and all in all, it's about making disciples of Christ, helping others live a victorious, spirit-filled Christian life where Christ is the center. When Christ is in control and in the center of our life, you and I, we, 
must make the decision to yield to him and allow him to direct all interests of our lives. So in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's the New International Version. So here we have a command that we are to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and then to teach them everything that I have commanded you. And then there's a promise, and surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. So we're not doing this alone. So what is the definition of disciple? Well, it's one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of Christianity. Because we're Christians and we're talking about Jesus Christ, we're talking about the doctrines of Christianity. Now, there are disciples of other faiths and other belief systems. But we're talking about disciples of the doctrines of Christianity. And who were Jesus' 12 disciples? Well, there were 12 men who responded to the call. They were Jews, uneducated commoners, just regular people, and simple men of faith who gave up everything to be followers of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus spent three years training these men to be leaders. And see, Jesus' plan was to eventually have the disciples take over and carry on the work he had started. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, let's see what it says about these 12 men. Verse 2 says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, these are the apostles who were disciples of Christ. First, Simon who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And then in verse 3 it says, Philip and Bartholomew, and then Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. And then in verse 4 it says, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We're talking about Jesus here. So these disciples had the benefit of walking and talking with Jesus and learning from him firsthand. So as we consider discipleship today in the 21st century in the absence of a physical-bodied Jesus Christ, what does that look like for us? I'd like to share with you just a few practical steps. I think I have six here listed. There's no formula There's nothing that says that there's one way that you have to do it and another way is not the right way or correct way. But these are just a few practical steps for the sake of, okay, so what do we do? If I want to become a discipler, if I want to be discipled, what does it look like? So the first one, and a lot of times when you're talking about a discipleship ministry, you do focus on those people who are recent in their walk with the Lord. They've recently accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. But then I've seen programs where it works for someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while but doesn't have a firm foundation laid. 
and they sort of uh, are limping along. And so someone can come alongside them and kind of walk on this journey with them and hold them accountable. And as often as you hold someone accountable, you should actually desire and pray about someone holding you accountable also. So the first practical step is to teach new converts or believers that salvation comes in stages. The first stage would be justification, then sanctification, and then glorification. These terms are different, but they're related. Justification means declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Our justification is by faith in Christ alone, and it's apart from work. In Romans 3.28, it says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then there's sanctification, which is a progressive growth into Christ-likeness. Sanctification means to be set apart to be a, uh, to, to a sacred purpose or use, to consecrate. It happens over time. It's decision by decision. We must be intentional in growing into Christ-likeness, so it's not going to happen by default. And then the believer will function in concert with the Holy Spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then our glorification is ultimate perfection in body and soul, which is by the direct action of God. The second step, practical step, would be to teach a new convert or believer to hate sin and love holiness. All sin is spiritual poison. It erodes, robs steals, and kills. God loves us too much to allow us to continue to live in sin, to live with habitual sin. The law, which is considered scripture, carefully reveals and dissects sin in our lives. And the Spirit's role is to enable us to live out the moral law of God by his power. In Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who did not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The third practical uh, step is to hold new converts or believers accountable. So ask those courageous questions, those probing questions. Ask about their areas of growth and if they're struggling with a particular sin or if they're struggling with a particular, the lack of a particular spiritual discipline and what areas are they most weak in in terms of obedience to God. Be gentle, gracious, but to be consistent. And then the fourth practical step is build a community commitment to discipleship. So many churches offer a discipleship ministry, and it's a way to ground new and young believers and to lay a firm foundation for all believers. 
the church has the responsibility to pray for each other's battles in this world, the battles that we have with the flesh and with the schemes of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then if you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Verse 9 says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So we have to show how to hold each other accountable and to live live up to that accountability and just be prayerful and mindful of what's going on. The fifth area, uh, practical step, is to offer a clear roadmap to spiritual maturity. Live a transparent life, not a perfect life, but one that is open. Discipleship is an opportunity to learn from one another, to grow with one another. And as you hold another accountable, allow someone to hold you accountable. Be a model striving for full maturity that is Christ-likeness in every area of life. And then consider four key areas, knowledge that's based on fact and experience, faith, character, and action. Biblical knowledge feeds faith, transforms character, and results in good works. And these works, in turn, feed knowledge and cause a cycle of growth toward Christ-like maturity. The sixth practical step is Pray fervently for spiritual growth. We need to pray for ourselves and each other. Pray openly with new believers and urge them to pray for each other so that they, too, can look and see and believe and claim and receive full maturity in Christ Jesus. Second Thessalonians 1 and 3 says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to end here and pick up this topic again in a couple of weeks. And I'd like to continue to explore the practicalities of the discipleship program and how to carry it out with the disciple league. So with that, I want to say, may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. God bless you.